We're glad you guys are here. Uh, tonight we have a special, this is really loud. Uh, tonight we have a special treat here. Uh, we have a speaker who needs no introduction, but I like to talk, so I'm going to stand up here and give him one. Uh, Jason Chesser, who is the minister at the Wetumpka Church of Christ and also the spiritual care coordinator. I like that. I remember that. That's pretty good. For a hospice up in Prattville. Uh, he is here to speak to us tonight, and uh, I'm really excited about it. I've known Jason for a few years. Uh, we started off our, uh, our career together really began uh, in some cabins at Indian Creek Youth Camp as we started inspecting and telling children how they needed to clean. And uh, if you ever want to hear how cattywampus or disheveled or out of whack a bed might be, this man has the greatest vocabulary I have ever heard in my entire life when it comes to those things. I knew immediately we were going to be friends because I had to bring a dictionary with me. I had no idea what he was talking about most of the time. So I, I was really excited about that. And then through uh, Faulkner, we got to work together a little bit there. Uh, my best time at Faulkner, and I can say this now since I didn't, you know, I don't work there anymore. My best times at Faulkner were not spent in my office, but were spent in Jason's office where I would go two, three, four hours every week. Uh, and we'd have conversations, you know, everything talking about the church, talking about the Bible, or maybe, you know, we just talk about whatever goofy thing we could come up with that day. So uh, really good guy, loves the Bible, loves the Lord. Uh, and I think probably the best compliment I can pay him is what, I don't know if I've ever said it to you, but I have told people this several times. I want to grow up to be Jason Chesser. That is a good guy right there. And so if I can come anywhere close to it, I'm going to be really excited. So uh, I know we're not going to try to take up too much more of his time, but let's have a quick prayer and then we'll let him get up here and get started. Father in heaven, we come to you now and we thank you for the opportunity to be here with our family, with the people who love you, uh, with the people who want to follow you. And Father, we pray that you will motivate us and spur within us a desire to serve you uh, and work harder for you each and every day. Father, help us to learn from your word. Father, help us to grow. And Father, we pray that you will be with us tonight as we enter to this time of study. Help us to keep our hearts open, keep our minds open, and be ready and willing to change our lives to make them more what you need them to be. Continue to watch over us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Give, thank you so much, brother. You're going to have to move that rung up a few lengths higher on that ladder of aspiration, but I appreciate that very much. Gives uh, one of my best friends, and I really, really appreciate that kind of introduction. And all it was was just a crash course with a thesaurus. See, I can't even say thesaurus. See, just a crash course with the thesaurus the week before camp. That's the only way I pulled our camp cabin inspections off. But it is just a joy to be with you. Thank you for the honor and privilege of being with you this evening. We just love this congregation so much, and you have been such a uh, beacon of light to this community, and I know with your mission work to the entire world. So we just really appreciate all the good that you do and what you mean to the, the kingdom of the Lord. And so we're going to talk a little bit for a few moments tonight together about keeping marriage safe. And of course, we're going to let God do the vast majority of the talking tonight through his word, but I did consult a couple of other experts about this topic before or in preparation for it. I just wanted to share a couple of these uh, bits of words of wisdom from a couple of the experts about the topic of marriage. This comes from um, Alan, age 10. 
he was asked, how do you decide who to marry? And uh, he said, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all beforehand, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. So that was, I thought that was very important. Um, Derek, age eight, was asked, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? Uh, He said, you might have to guess um, based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. And so I thought that was that was very good and helpful. Is it better to be single or married? And Anita, age nine, said it's better for girls to be single, but not the boys. Boys need someone to clean up after them. Now, that's an expert. Is that not an expert? Expert advice right there. Um, Will, age seven, uh, says, uh, is it better to be single or married? It gives me a headache to think about that stuff. I'm just a kid. I don't need that kind of trouble. So yeah, we'll just say, hey, let's just just don't even get into that. And then um, one more. Uh, this is from uh, I think Becky, age nine. Why does love happen between two people? Um, I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something, but the rest of it isn't supposed to be so painful. Um, so I thought those were just great pieces of advice for us to consider uh, before we get into our topic for tonight: keeping marriage safe. And what an important topic it is. Tell me, do I need to point? Oh, there we go. Okay, so point up in this general area and it will move. All right. What we, and I know you know this, but sadly, um, a lot of our politicians, a lot of our judges, a lot of people who make decisions in this country have decided that they have a right to have a say in marriage, everything from its definition to its boundaries We need to understand, and I know you know this, we all know this if we've spent any time in the Lord's church. When we talk about marriage, this is God's domain. Marriage is His. He designed it. He created it. He set the parameters. He set the boundaries all the way back in the beginning. He created Adam. You guys know the the chronology of events that take place in Genesis chapter 2. He created Adam. He created Eve. He introduced them to one another. And the next thing He does is perform a wedding ceremony. I mean, marriage is the oldest, and except for the church, the most sacred institution on the face of the earth. It is God's institution. It belongs to Him. Jesus reminded us of this fact in Matthew chapter 19, a passage that is very familiar to us when some Pharisees came, as they did so often, to try to trick Jesus or tempt Him to get Him to say something that they thought they'd be able to use against Him later on, and so They come and they say, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for any cause? Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3. And Jesus takes them all the way back to the passage that we were just looking at just a moment ago in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Jesus says, have you never read? And then he goes on to quote that passage. And so what Jesus does right at the beginning is he claims ownership of the marriage relationship. And in essence, he says to the Pharisees, I don't care what kind of laws you have made to alter the original plan. I don't care what kind of say you've tried to have in this. This is not your domain. This institution does not belong to you. This institution belongs to me, my father, my spirit. It's our institution. We created it. We designed it. We ordained it. And so you've got Jesus who at the very beginning is saying, this is not your realm. This is mine. It belongs to me. Then he goes on to say, as he takes their minds back to Genesis chapter 2, he goes on to say, we created it, we ordained it, we also 
quantified it. And so he then goes on to establish the principle that is set for us in Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. One male plus one female equals two, which then equals one. So a man leaves his father and mother, a man, singular, one, clings to his wife, singular, two. The two become then one. One plus one equals two equals one. I know that kind of math is not the way we use it, but that's God's math. And so if that's God's math, then it's right. And so God qualifies. Jesus qualifies the marital relationship, and then he quantifies the marital relationship. <coughs> Excuse me. So he says it's one male, one man, plus one female, one woman. The two becoming one. So he quantifies, he qualifies, and he assigns ownership to God and God alone. So why is it so important for us to keep marriage safe? Because for those of us who are in a marriage relationship, for those of you who are single but you are desiring to be in a marriage relationship one day, what we need to keep on the forefront of our mind is the fact that we are entering into a relationship that society does not have any say in, that culture does not have any say in, that judges, politicians don't have any say in. It is God's domain. And for people to think that they can redefine, requantify, requalify this marriage relationship, it would be like me going into your house that you own either outright or you are making the monthly payments own, and so you have every right of ownership of that house. It would be like me going into your house and starting to rearrange your, your furniture, calling your mortgage company, trying to refinance your mortgage for you, going up, if you've got children and say you've got a, a whiteboard in your house and you've got the chores that are assigned to the kids, and, and then I just go and I just start erasing them. No, I think Sally will do the yard this week and, and uh, Pete will take out. You just start changing everything. Do I have a right to go into your house and do anything other than just sit where you offer for me to sit and eat whatever you offer me to eat? <laughs> that's about all the privileges I have a right to when I'm in your home because that's your home and you have the authority inside that home. Marriage is God's domain. It belongs to Him. And so we have no right to tamper with it. We have no right to redefine it. We have no right to... Um, do anything that alters it in any shape, form, or fashion whatsoever. The marriage institution is precious to God, is precious to our Savior. And Paul helps us understand this in Ephesians chapter 5. This is a passage that I know that you've read and studied many times. It's a passage that's often quoted or read at marriage ceremonies. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture of what the marriage relationship is supposed to be. And what it is supposed to be is a mirror reflection of Christ's love for the church. It is the only relationship that exists on the face of the earth, not the relationship between a mother and a child, as precious as that relationship is. Not the relationship between a father and a child, as precious as that relationship is. The relationship between a husband and wife is the only relationship on the face of the earth that is compared in any shape, form, or fashion to the relationship that Christ has with His church. And so you have in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25 and going through the end of that chapter, you have Paul, one minute he's talking about husbands and how they are to love their wives. And the next minute he's talking about Christ and his love for the church. And he's going back to talking about 
wives and the respect they need to have for their husbands. And, and then he goes right back to talking about Christ and his relationship and love for the church. And, and they're just the two topics are, are woven inside of one another for these seven or eight passages. And you get to the end and Paul takes our minds back to Genesis chapter 2. And he says this is a profound mystery, a mystery that was not fully understood in the Old Testament because the relationship that exists between Christ and the church had not come into fruition as of yet. So that's the only reason why Paul refers to it as a mystery. It's, it's something that has revealed truth now. Uh, a Bible writer in the Old Testament would not have been able to use the kind of analogy and simile that Paul used in Ephesians chapter 5 because Christ had not yet come in the flesh and died and purchased the church and, and in a spiritual way made the church his bride. But Paul is saying this mystery has now been revealed to us and the marriage relationship is supposed to be a mirror reflection. What, if it is functioning according to its design, according to God's design for it, if the husband is loving the wife as Christ loves the church, if the wife is loving and respecting her husband, if they have this connection, this bond, this affection, this love for one another in the way that it's designed to be, then it is going to be the only thing on the face of the earth that comes anywhere close to revealing to us the love that Christ has for His church. So that is why it is so important for us to discuss this topic tonight, this, dis this discussion of keeping marriage safe. Well, we know the devil was watching everything in the garden. The devil came to a full understanding of how precious this relationship between Adam and Eve was in the sight of God. And so the devil has made it his intention, his purpose, his goal to try to destroy that relationship ever since the very beginning. And you only have to get to Genesis chapter 4 to find the first person who chose to tamper with this institution in the way that it was created, in the way that it was designed, in the way that it was qualified, in the way in which it was quantified. You only have to get to Genesis chapter 4. And I may have mentioned this a couple of years ago, so I'm not going to belabor this point, but there was something that jumped out to me when reading about Lamech that you read about in Genesis chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. And a thought just kind of popped in my mind that had not popped in my mind the times that I had read that particular passage before in light of what we know about the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And if I did mention this a couple of years before, forgive me, I'll, I'll try to mention it very quickly right now. Genesis chapters 1 through 11, as you well know, cover about 2,000 years of human history. And the Holy Spirit, as he is inspiring Moses to write those first 11 chapters, is flying at light speed through those 2,000 years. So I want you to think about all the people who lived during those 2,000 years. I want you to think about all the conversations that were had during those 2,000 years. And 99.99999% of them were not revealed to us in those first 11 chapters. The Holy Spirit is just laser-focused on getting us from Genesis 3 to the introduction to Abraham and how the God's plan to redeem man through Christ and the cross is revealed throughout the rest of Scripture. And so the Holy Spirit is just flying through this. In fact, think for a moment, how many um, words do we have that Abel and Seth said in the years that they lived? I want you to think back to those first few chapters. How many quotations can you think about 
that came from the mouths of two very righteous individuals, Abel and Seth. You know how many words we have that came out of their mouth recorded for us in the first 11 chapters of Genesis? If you add both of them together, you get zero. Not one single word do we have uttered, recorded for us in Scripture. Enoch, a man so righteous that he walked with God, and then God on one occasion took him. How many words of wisdom do you think Enoch spoke in his lifetime if he was so righteous that God just came and said, you're not going to experience physical death. I'm taking you straight to heaven with me. Can you imagine what kind of wisdom, what kind of righteous words came out of this man's mouth? Do you know how many words we have recorded in Genesis 1-11 through that he said? Zero. We don't have one single word that Enoch said. We've got ten total words that Enoch said, and we don't find out about them until Jude records them in Jude, I think, verse 17. He has a ten-word quotation from Enoch, and that's all we have. Noah. You know how many words we have recorded in Scripture? This man was a preacher of righteousness while he was building the ark for over a hundred years. Can you imagine some of the powerful sermons he preached, some of the the words of admonishment, of rebuke, of exhortation. Can you manage, manage? Imagine. I can't speak English tonight, but I don't have a second language, so that's a problem. Can you imagine all the words that Noah said that, man, Brother Melvin, I don't know about you, I'd love to have a few sermon outlines that came from Noah and those hundred plus years of preaching. Do you know how many words we have recorded for us in Genesis from Noah? Forty-five 45. And all of those were when he sobers up after his period of drunkenness and curses one of his sons and grandsons. That's That conversation that he had with them, that's the only recorded words we have of knowing the entire Bible. To put that in perspective, we understand the Holy Spirit is, he's not really concerned about recording a lot of human history and a lot of dialogue for those first 2,000 years, but he comes to a screeching halt in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 19 to introduce us to a man named Lamech, the first man who decided he was not content with God's parameters and boundaries for marriage. And so Lamech decides to take on a second wife. And it's as if the Holy Spirit wants to make sure that he pauses in human history when the first person had the audacity, had the gall to go against God's boundaries and parameters and definition of marriage. And he wanted us to make sure that we understood what kind of man had the audacity to do something like that. And so there's this 20, 38 word. We only have seven fewer words of Lamech recorded for us in the Bible than we have of Noah. And so there's this entire conversation that takes place between Lamech and his wives. And you remember basically what he says, listen here, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man for wounding me. If Cain should be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech should be avenged seventy-sevenfold. Is it not interesting to you that the Holy Spirit, all these conversations that He does not record, all these people who lived and died that He never even references, and He stops and He pauses, I want to make sure that you understand what kind of man it was that chose to mess with the marriage relationship. It was a man who claimed he was 11 times worse than Cain. 
Is that not sending us a message about how seriously God takes this institution? So it is incredibly important that we spend time contemplating it regularly, realizing how serious of a matter it is to be in a marriage relationship or if you're thinking about entering into a marriage relationship, realizing how important and how sacred that institution is to its creator. Its creator meaning the creator of the marital relationship and the creation of us, of course. So let's just spend a few moments together looking at a little application. This institution that is God's, that belongs to Him, that we know is under constant attack from the devil. He's always trying to get inside a marriage relationship and wreak havoc and destroy it in any way that he possibly can. What are some ways that we can keep marriage safe? Number one, and we've already covered it, remember whose institution it is. We didn't come up with this concept. We didn't come up with this idea. This is God's concept. It came from His infinite mind. And it belongs to Him. And so in order to keep it safe, we need to remind ourselves of whose institution it is. It is His. It's not my marriage. It's not your marriage. It is God's marriage. It belongs to Him, and we need to treat it with the importance that it deserves. Number two, and this is a biggie, if we want to try to keep our marriages safe, those of us who are in marriages, those of you who are thinking about and hoping to be in a marriage one day, no secrets. Now, secrets are okay if you're a couple of five-year-olds on the playground or if you're talking about a surprise birthday party or if you're talking about antiperspirant. Otherwise, for the most part, in the marital relationship, there is no place for secrets. Here's a few places that we definitely don't need to be keeping a secret. Social media relationships. If you've got some private messaging going on with someone other than your spouse, that if your spouse was to read it, you would be embarrassed, and that is a conversation that you don't need to be having. If you've got a social media account that you and you yourself have access to, and you have conversations going on with people that if your spouse was to ever get access to it and you would be greatly embarrassed by some things that are there, then there's a problem. We don't need to have these kinds of secrets <clears throat> Excuse me. in our relationships. I never will forget reading an article a few years ago. It was a man who was the leader of a mega church. I think it was in uh, Georgia. Um, if I remember correctly, the article said this particular church had 25,000 members and uh, the, the senior minister, I think, I'm not sure what his official title was, but he calls in the ministry staff. And he has a meeting with them, and he says, I want all of you guys and ladies, I think it was men and women who were on the staff of this particular uh, place, he said, I want all of you to get off of social media. He said, I am sick and tired of being involved in counseling sessions with people who are on the brink of divorce or getting ready to divorce, and the reason they are about to get divorced is because one was involved in a uh, relationship on social media, either rekindling a, a flame of someone from years gone by or someone that they've developed a relationship through social media that, that grew from that to a physical relationship and a full-blown affair. He said every 
counseling session that I've had with couples in this congregation over the last year, two years, that's the way the affair started. So I want all of you to get off of social media. Six months later, he had to resign from his position at this church because he had been having an ongoing affair with someone in that congregation, the relationship beginning on social media. These are the kinds of secrets we don't need to be keeping from our spouse. Financial matters that are of significant um, proportions do not need to be kept secret. I never will forget um, talking to an individual who was telling a story about uh, his parents. And this was back around the time that eBay first came on the scene. And for collectors of various things, when eBay came on the scene, it was like all of a sudden you don't just have access to the flea markets and the yard sales in your neighborhood <laughs> you have access to the flea markets and the yard sales and the garages of everybody in the world. And so for collectors, it was, oh my goodness, everything that I have ever been missing of this particular collection is now just one winning bid away from arriving in my front door. And so there was this uh, a man very uh, devoted to his family and his wife. He was a good man, but he, he had a particular thing that he collected and all of a sudden, eBay opened up opportunities that he could not believe. And so packages started coming in every other day and then every day from bids that he had won, auctions that he had won. And so the wife starts getting concerned. What are these packages doing coming here and the frequency with which they are coming? What is going on? And so he, he knew he needed to stop winning all of these auctions, but he just there were still some things out there that he needed to fill his collection with. And so he said, I'm going to have to get some credit cards just in my name, and I'm going to have to get a P.O. box so that these packages don't come to the house where my wife can see them and ask me about it, but they can go to the post office, and I can get them there and sneak them into the house. And I've already got so much stuff, she won't be able to tell about one additional piece of memorabilia. And he winds up running up thousands and thousands of dollars in debt on cards that his wife did not even know he had to the point where it almost bankrupted them. And it started out relatively benign and harmless, but he was keeping these things secret from his spouse that caused a great strain in their relationship. I'm going to go ahead and put the next three on the board because I know our time is running out quickly. There's some connection between these frustrations regarding intimacy, resentment, discontentment, disappointment, these are things not to keep secret from our spouse. I have been involved in counseling situations. Those of you here who are in ministry, I'm sure you've been involved in counseling situations. And those who do it for a living, I know they have been involved in situations where you sit down with a husband and a wife and their marriage is on the ropes and they're talking divorce and things come up in these conversations. And you find out as you're trying to work through these things with, with this husband and this wife that they are bringing up things and I have seen it before where I have looked at the spouse of the one who's hearing what the other one is saying, and they're hearing this for the first time. And this is something that has been causing tremendous strain in the mind of the person who's been hurt by it. It's been some frustration, some aggravation, something that has caused resentment, and they have been bottling it, and they've not been communicating it. They've, in essence, been keeping it a secret. And then it just blows up 
where they're right on the brink of, of calling an end to their marriage and wanting to divorce one another. And, and they're communicating, they're verbalizing these things for the first time in some cases. Frustrations, resentment, dis- discouragement, disappointment, those are not the kinds of things to keep to yourself and just allow them to stack one on top of the other until it gets to the point where you can't take just one more and then there's a massive eruption. In order to keep our marriage safe, we've got to keep it safe from secrets. Number three, we've got to fill the marriage with love and respect. I want to remind you of how Paul ends that beautiful description of marriage and how it's supposed to be a mirror image of Christ's love for the church in Ephesians chapter 5. And it's very interesting, the wording. And I'm sure you have called on it before. And notice the subtle difference in the, the last two commands that Paul, through inspiration, gives to the husband and to the wife. And one more time, he's already said it several times, but one more time he says to the husband to love your wife. There's not a single woman on the face of the earth, and I know it's very dangerous for a man to speak on behalf of a woman. So I'm basing this on stuff that I've read. Um, There's not a single woman who thinks this particular joke is funny. Uh, The wife goes to the husband, you don't ever tell me you love me. And the husband says, well, I told you I loved you when we got married, and if I change my mind, I'll let you know. There's not a woman on the face of the earth that thinks that's funny. Not a one. If you want to hear a woman groan, tell that joke. And there are some men, I think, who struggle with the um, ability to... I don't know if I should say the ability, because I don't know that men struggle with the ability. I think men struggle with the willingness to express love verbally and through action. And so Paul, multiple times, he said, if you want this relationship to mirror Christ's love for the church in the way that it's designed to, then husband, love your wife. Say it. Show it. But then he alters the wording in the last command that he gives to the wife. And he says, wives, see that you respect your husband. And for those of you that have read read books about marriage, and I know that you have come across this idea. And I don't know that there's a man that would disagree with me when I say this, all of the writing that's been done on this topic just bears this out even more. Men cannot disconnect respect and love. There, there's not a single man on the planet who would be okay with hearing his wife say, I don't respect my husband, but I love him. Because what a husband would hear is, I don't love my husband. He would not hear I don't I love him but I don't respect him. All a husband would hear is she doesn't love me. A man cannot cannot disconnect respect from love. To a man respect is love. And to a man if there is no respect there cannot be any love. It is a craving that men desire and men cannot function very well without it. And if a man's not finding respect somewhere, he'll look somewhere else for it, whether it's in uh, his occupation or whether it's in uh, some skill or hobby that he has. He'll, he'll look to try to find respect somewhere if he's not getting it from his spouse. 
In the same way that I'm sure that wives will struggle with a desire to find love somewhere if they are not getting it from their husband. It's so important that we provide these two very important things to one another. So in in essence, Paul is saying the same thing. He's just wording it a little bit differently. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. But he uses the word respect because guys can't, they can't break those two things apart. Number four, to keep a marriage safe, we have to dwell together in knowledge. Okay, I know our time is getting away from us quickly. We're getting near the end. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Peter gives husbands a command concerning their wives, dwell with them, depending on the translation that you're reading from, either in understanding or with knowledge. Now we know that nowhere in Scripture does the Holy Spirit ask for the impossible. When He tells us to do things, He tells us to do things because He knows we are capable of doing them. So He does not tell us to do things that are impossible. So, we as guys, we do not have the right to say concerning our wife, hey, I, tried to, I tried to understand her, but I just gave up a long time ago because it's impossible. It's not impossible because Peter commanded us to live with our wives according to knowledge, with understanding. And it's interesting what the end of that passage states. He says, dwell with him with understanding, giving honor to her as the weaker vessel, being uh, understanding that you were joint heirs of the grace of life. But have you ever stopped and pondered that last phrase? All right, now, so he's the beginning of the verse is dwell with her in understanding with according to knowledge, keeping a couple of things in mind so that, what does it say at the end? So that your prayers may not be hindered. So, guys, if our attitude is, hey, look, I try to figure her out. But I just can't. I can't get inside a woman's mind. It's impossible. It is beyond the realm of my understanding. You know that prayer that you've been praying for that promotion? It's not going any higher than the ceiling. That's what the Holy Spirit through Peter is telling us in that passage. If you're telling me that you are not dwelling with your wife according to knowledge or with wisdom then I'm telling you your prayer life is being hindered. There are things that God has decided He cannot do for you if you are not willing to do what He has asked you to do with your spouse. So if we're going to keep our marriage safe, we're going to... It is amazing. Guys, most guys, when they have a desire to understand something, Oh man, guys that are sports fans, I mean, they'll, guys that are football fans, they'll, they'll understand the way offenses and defenses work, just like the coaches that are wearing the, the headsets on the sidelines. Guys that um, devote themselves to learning about a particular hobby or a particular skill, man, they can become incredible sources of information and knowledge on that particular topic. Guys have the, the incredible ability, and I know women do as well, but we're, for the sake of what we're talking about right here, guys have this incredible, incredible ability of, 
of developing some real ownership and some real skill in things that they decide, I want to know how this piece of machinery works, or I want to know the rules of this particular game, or I want to know how to do A, B, C. And then some of those same guys say, man, I can't figure out women. It's just impossible to understand what makes them tick. Now, if you desire to know what Peter is telling us through inspiration, God is telling us to. God is telling us to. So obviously, it is possible. I want to share with you, we're not going to go through all these. There's no way that we have the time. But this was a survey that the American Family Association did with over a thousand married couples, and, and they asked the very question, what is it that makes you feel safe in your marriage relationship? And the things that you see on the screen are the things that came up over and over again from both the men and the women in the, these marriage relationships that were asked this question. What is it? What is it that makes and helps you feel safe in your relationship? I'll just read them for you quickly for those that may not be able to see them on screen. Feeling completely secure, feeling relaxed and comfortable, being loved unconditionally, knowing that my spouse is trustworthy, being fully understood, having loving reassurance, being accepted for who I am, being free to express who I really am, feeling respected, having my spouse be there for me, being valued and honored, being seen for who I am, being able to open fully in order to give and receive love, having my flaws accepted as part of the whole package, living in an atmosphere of open communication. If we want our spouse to feel safe, these are the kinds of things that we need to be providing. If we, for us to be able to feel safe in our relationship, these are the kinds of things that we need to be receiving. It's interesting, there are... There are basic human needs that almost all humans crave. And every single one of those basic human needs are expressed in one way or another in this list that's on the screen right now. Every human being craves about five different things. I don't remember all of them right off the top of my head, but affirmation, acceptance, validation. Those are the common traits that we all have. A desire and a craving Acceptance, validation. And if we're not getting it in our home with our spouse, we're missing out on receiving it within the most important relationship that exists on the face of the earth. And so I hope that all of us who are in, in this wonderful institution created by God, that we're realizing the sacredness of it, the importance of it, and we're realizing the blessings that come, can come from it if we frame it in the way in which it is designed to be framed. And then with our last moment together tonight, I want us to think of, it's one of my favorite passages, Psalm 127, verse 1, but I want us to alter the wording of it a little bit just to fit with our topic for tonight. Unless the Lord build the marriage... They labor in vain who build it. A marriage stands no chance to be everything that it's capable of being if it is not built on a foundation of God. So unless the Lord build the marriage, they labor in vain to build it. Unless the Lord watches the marriage, 
unless the Lord is the one who is protecting the marriage, unless the Lord is the one who is standing at the door of the marriage, watching who's going out and who's coming in, the husband and wife watch in vain. This is a beautiful relationship designed to God to be the closest thing that we can experience on the face of the earth to the love that exists between Christ and the church. And so I hope that those of us who are a part of it realize how beautiful a relationship it is and realize the blessings and benefits that can come from being in the relationship with the mindset that God wants us to have when we're in it. And those of you who are single and thinking you would want to be married one day, I hope you will have this mindset where I want it to be everything that God has made it capable of being and don't settle for one ounce less. Thank you so much for your kind attention this evening.